children may be dismissed now to Children's Church. And everybody's going to this room right over here under the exit sign. If you'd like to go that way, you will be welcome. I'll assure you. And while they're doing that, I have an announcement I'd like to make because if I don't make it now, I'll probably forget it at the end of the service. And that is that I'd like, if I could get about six or eight men at the close of the service today to stack these chairs. You can stack them in about literally less than five minutes. Six or eight men can uh, where it would take some of us uh, quite longer than that by ourselves. And after this morning, we need it wide open for Vacation Bible School. We need the chairs cleared out except for 36. Could somebody who knows how to count say 36? We need 36 at the back to put around tables. Just push them back to the back. We'll take care of it after that. The rest of them need to be stacked and carried into uh, the middle room on the side there, the youth room. We're stacking the chairs in there. So if you would help us with that when service is over, I would appreciate it. If you would turn with me in your Bible, please, to the book of Daniel. This morning I want to share with you, um, I think, something that's very important. We spent several months ago, or several months ago, we spent several months in the book of Daniel for a good long while. On Wednesday nights we would study this and even some on Sunday, um, a good while. So today I'm going to take a totally different approach and instead of preaching about the message that Daniel preached or the revelation that he received, I'm primarily going to be focusing on the man, Daniel. I'd like to talk about the prophet Daniel and have us see something very important about his life. Um, as we go to the next slide, you'll see something. Some of you will know where that is, maybe have even seen it. It's a sunflower field, which is located on more than 50 acres of land on the Noose River Greenway Trail. Anybody in here ever seen this? One. I know Dexter has. Okay, Tony has. It's a beautiful site. But it's one you can't drive to. You've got to walk at least a mile or ride a bicycle a mile to get to it on the greenway. There's no, no close way to get to that. But over 50 acres of sunflowers that have been planted several years ago uh, that are just absolutely beautiful to behold. And as we look at that field this morning, I think we could probably agree over 50 acres with all of those big, beautiful Sunflowers, we would agree there's a whole lot of blooming going on on that field, right? And that's what I want to talk about this morning is how that we need to bloom where we're planted or be blooming wherever we're planted. If you have no blooming, those of you who've ever had any fruit trees, if you have no blooming in your orchard, what does that mean? No fruit. Exactly. No fruit. No blooming, no fruit. No flowers, no fruit. The flowers just aren't to look at and be pretty on all these fruit trees that we have, whether it be pears or apples or peaches or whatever. But when we see the flowers, we know that the fruit is coming, assuming we don't have a hard freeze in this area that kills those flowers or maybe some type of uh, bug infestation. But if everything goes well, when there are flowers, there will be fruit to follow. The Bible says that the Father 
is glorified when we bear much fruit. Amen? The Lord is pleased. The Lord is happy. The Lord is glorified when we as Christians bear much fruit. Now, obviously, we're not talking about peaches and apples and pears there. We're talking about another kind of fruit. And so we transfer this line of thinking into the spiritual sense, which is, is done often in times in the Bible. In the book of Isaiah, um, chapter 5, Isaiah related the story of God's disappointing vineyard. Some of you will remember that, where the prophet said that the Lord planted a vineyard and he used the very best plants he could find and he used the choicest ground and he took out the rocks and he prepared a place for there to be a beautiful vineyard. And it's very specific in that scripture. He used the choicest vines, the very best he could find. He did everything he could do to make sure that there was going to be a harvest, even so far as going to build a tower for a watchman to watch it and make sure that no animals or anything got in and disrupted and ate the fruit and that kind of thing. But when it was all said and done, and and all that could be done had been done by the Lord in this parable, the Bible says that, It didn't bring forth good fruit. It brought forth little scrawny grapes that were sour and were no good to eat. And Jeremiah picks up on that. In Jeremiah's writings, he talks about the sour grapes and how that the sour grapes don't please the Lord and how he was disappointed with that. So we find this imagery in Scripture quite a bit. The Bible says that the Lord is glorified when we bear much fruit. There's another slide here that I think is interesting. Um, And you see this cow down on her knees eating grass through a fence. How many of you have ever heard that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence? Well, you know what? When I look at that, it looks like to me the grass is just as good on one end of that cow as it is on the other cow. It's green. It's pretty. There's plenty to eat there. But that picture describes something about cows and also something about people. We always tend to think that other people or other places are better off than we are. And so then what happens if we're not careful, and I've got to tell you that pastors are the worst at this. And the reason I say that is when I was growing up until about 10 years ago or so, the average tenure of a pastor in a church. Anybody like to guess? Not you, Dad. Anybody else? Would you like to guess how much the average tenure was in the church across America? 18 months. A church would keep a pastor 18 months and they would run him off or he would run off, whatever the situation was. That was the average length of a pastor in America Across the board, all denominations, 10 years and prior to that, 18 months. Now, that has changed in the last 20 years or so, and now that average is up to over three years. And I think we probably realized that what we needed to do was take root downward and bear fruit upward, something you read right on the front of this pulpit here. We need to do that as Christians, amen? In other words, we can't be so shallow as Christians or as pastors, that whenever some little problem surfaces, we want to flee and go to greener grass. Because what we find out is that greener grass that looks so good now, when you get there and stay there for just a little while, 
you'll find out it wasn't any greener than where you were. Amen? And that's life. And it's true for pastors. And it's true for Christians. As a matter of fact, as we look, we, we live in a... Uh, this problem that we're talking about, greener pastors, looking for something better, never being satisfied where we are, always looking for a step up, a better place, a, uh, a better situation, that's pandemic in the culture that we live in. We always think other people are faring better. We the, the other job, if I could get it, that would be a better job. This one would be nicer. I'd rather live here. We always kind of want to step up. It's always whatever's on the other side of the fence, it looks like greener pastures to us. However, that's not always true. But we see that in the the statistic I just gave you about pastors staying at 18 months in a church and moving. Well, you, you're not going to take root very deep in 18 months, are you? And so that explained one of the reasons the average size of the church, churches in, in North America now, the average size of churches is 75. That's the average. If you're bigger than 75, you're larger than, than the average. And if you're less than 75, you're smaller than the average. But when you put them all together, that number is 75. Well, there's this, this principle that we see exhibited in that cow who's stretching way out for grass that looks like maybe it's a little bit taller than where it was, but the grass was green all over the place. The trouble with that is we always think somewhere else is better something else is better, and never being satisfied where we are, which keeps us from doing what we really need to be doing where we are. And as we look at Daniel's life in just a moment, we're going to see that he had plenty of reasons to get discouraged. If a man ever had a reason to be unhappy and unfulfilled and make excuses, he had that reason, but the Bible tells us that he was faithful, and we'll talk about that. Today we live in a society still where pastors are not committed to their churches. To change every three years is not real commitment, is it? Not really. People are not committed to their marriages because the I do's, you know, when we do the marriage covenant, we talk about till death do you part. We find out that in America today that doesn't mean a whole lot. Not committed to God as we should be. Because sometimes you see people who serve God and then something in their life doesn't go quite right. They have, and I'll remind you that the Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust and the sun shines on the just and the unjust. Amen? So then when something happens, Jimmy and Joni, house burns down, some, some people would blame that on God. Why did God do that? And so their relationship with God would suffer because their house burned. Now, Jimmy and Joni, they just kept right on plugging. They didn't do that. But you understand that a lot of times people let problems that arise in their life um, cause them to be discouraged. Now, when you get discouraged or have problems or, quote, bad things happen in your life, you can either respond one of two ways. Number one, that trial, that difficult time in your life can cause you to draw nearer to the Lord. Amen? Or it may cause you to drop out of church and get discouraged and drift farther away from the Lord. So usually one of the two responses is what happens to people. And sadly, too many Christians allow when something negative, they see it as negative, when it happens in their lives, then they just kind of back away 
from church, back away from serving the Lord, back away from the people of God. And that certainly is not the right response. People are not committed to church. People are not even committed to their jobs anymore. If you ask most people what they are looking for in their job, it'd be pretty easy to answer that question. A paycheck. And so really they're more concerned about what they're getting from this employment than what they're able to contribute to the company for which they work. And I can remember a time when people had so much commitment to a company they worked for or an employer, they they wanted to please the employer, they wanted to make progress, they wanted to see it be successful. But now that doesn't matter to a lot of people anymore. All they care about is the paycheck. They don't care about getting their own time. Amen. They don't care about staying there till they're supposed to go home. They don't care about doing a good job. They can sit there on the internet and, and play solitaire or, or surf the net all during work hours, not giving their employer the, the effort and the time they need uh, because they're not committed to the job. They're just thankful for the check. Well, we're going to talk about Daniel for a few moments this morning who stands as a man among men, even above men, as an example. Next slide, please. That no one, that an example that one can thrive even in circumstances that are less than desirable. And we're going to see in Daniel's life that um, he is a good example for us because of the things that he faced to still be true and committed and um, taking root and serving the Lord in a faithful way. So, I'm going to share with you over the next few moments a survey of Daniel's life. Now, this survey will, will cause us to um, uh, kind of take inventory of the things that happened uh, with Daniel. So, we're going to survey his life. And the first thing we're going to do is look how he was taken captive. Um, is it not working? It must not be working. That's fine. That's fine. That's great. Thank you. These, these three men in Scripture, Noah, Daniel, and Job, I think all of us know their stories, right? And each one of them, Noah, built an ark. People made fun of him. They laughed at him. They mocked. They told him he was crazy, but he kept right on being faithful and built that ark. And then Daniel... Uh, as we're going to talk about today, and then Job. We know Job's story. Job went through unbelievable suffering, but he was faithful through it all. And then Daniel. Now, the Lord says in Ezekiel 14, 14, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, and the context is if they were in the city and the city was about to be destroyed, these men would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, not everybody else. It's, I'm not concerned necessarily about the context of this today as I am the three names. Noah, Daniel, and Job, Ezekiel 14, 14, where the Lord says that these men were righteous men. So as we look at Daniel, we're going to take this survey of his life, and the first thing that we're going to notice is he was taken captive. Now, if you have your Bibles, you might want to kind of follow along with me as we read some of these. He was taken captive, and we're going to read about that in uh, chapter 1, verse 3. 
Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men to whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. These men were taken captive. It would have been Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I say that so easily, taken captive. And you hear that so easily, taken captive. But I want you to think with me in just a few moments, what is involved in this principle of Daniel being taken captive? Number one, it meant that he was transplanted. He was taken away from his family. Not to be with them anymore. And he was now in a strange land. With strange people. And strange culture. And strange food. Everything was different about this place to which he was carried away captive. And here's one thing that you probably might not have given attention to. And we had a hint of it in verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. Now, what it means to be a eunuch, I hope you understand. It's, it's concerning a man. A man who is emasculated. A man who is castrated. A man who is no longer able to function in the normal way that God created him to. That's what they did when they took captive these people. And you, it's interesting to me that you read seven times in chapter 1. You read seven times that phrase, the chief of the eunuchs or the master of the eunuchs. And notice that the focus here is not so much on, on the chief. He, what is he chief of? What is he master of? He's master of the eunuchs. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put under his care. He's master of the eunuchs. And Bible scholars pretty much agree it's almost a certainty that that had happened to Daniel. That meant his life was changed drastically. It meant the king didn't want any um, anything to get in the way of this man's devotion and his attention to the job which he had been assigned. That's a life-changing thing when you talk about being taken captive by a kingdom, a country like this. To be put in that society, that never happened in Israel, but it sure happened here in Babylon, and it happened to Daniel. He was taken captive. That says a whole mouthful of very drastic changes. He was still committed to God, however, because... In chapter 1, verse 8, they tried to give him these delicacies from the king's table, but he refused them. He was a man who was so committed to God, he says, I don't want to eat this food. This food is not consistent with what God says we're allowed to eat. Please don't make us eat this. And so he was very committed to God and cared about things like that. He just didn't throw caution to the wind and abandon his beliefs. 
He used wisdom in chapter 1 verse 12. He built friendships and he negotiated with his captors to where they allowed him to refrain from eating those things. You know what? You can be under duress. You can be under pressure. You can be having a hard time at work. And you can just kind of bite your tongue and keep your mouth shut and not ever say anything. And generally what's going to happen? It's probably going to get worse and worse and worse. At least it's going to continue. But sometimes what we need to do is in the right spirit and using wisdom, we need to speak up. We need to say, you know, I don't really think that this is correct. I don't think this is right. And, And I'd like for you to consider this. And if we do it in the right kind of way, a lot of times we can get results just like Daniel did. Daniel was blessed in chapter 1, verse 17, where the Bible says, As for these four men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You know what? It's pretty clear that when Daniel left Jerusalem and was taken to Babylon, can you imagine going into a strange land and not knowing the language and you've got to learn the language plus all the other things he's asking of you? According to what we read here in chapter 1, they chose people to whom they could teach the language of the Chaldeans. Evidently, they didn't know it. They had to learn it, start from scratch. That would be tough. I mean, it's like your whole life has absolutely turned around from what it used to be. He was so blessed, the Bible says in verse 19 of chapter 1, Then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. So indeed, they were blessed. The Bible also tells us that he was faithful in chapter 1 verse 21. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Now we read that and we think, well, yeah, that's all right. He he stayed faithful. Do you know how long that was? Seventy years. Daniel went into Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And so he served under the king and God blessed him there. But then the Bible tells us that Belshazzar became the king, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And here is Daniel again serving and working and, and being blessed under Belshazzar. And then Darius the Mede became the king. And you see him operative and ministering and being faithful to the Lord under his administration. And then you see Cyrus of Persia become the king. And then you see Daniel still serving the Lord. That means he had been under four different kings, four different administrations, being jerked around from one position to another, working his way up the chain, if you will, four different times. He was blessed and God was with him and he was faithful over a period of 70 years. The Bible tells us he was a man of prayer. Chapter 2 verse 17 when they, when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and they were trying to, uh, he was trying to get it interpreted and none of the magicians or the, the wise men there could do anything. He said, if somebody doesn't interpret this dream, I'm going to start killing wise men. And he did. And they came for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and Daniel said, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me talk to the king. He goes to the king says, king, you know, why, why be so hasty? Why such a hurry? If you'll give me just a little bit of time, would you please give me just a little bit of time? And I think we can see this change. And he went and got 
uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the Bible says they did what? They prayed. Yes, sir. Their life was on the line, and they went before the Lord in prayer, and God revealed the dream to Daniel, and problem was solved there. So he was a praying man. He also, in chapter 6, is highlighted as being a praying man. When the king stepped up, one of them did, Darius did, um, and signed this decree that anybody who doesn't, uh, anybody who asks anything of any God other than of the king is going to be thrown into a den of lions. And then what did Daniel do? He prayed. The Bible says he went to his house. He opened the windows as he did all the time, every day. It had been his custom from the younger days. And he prayed three times a day. And he didn't let that stop him. It cost him a trip to the den of lions. But the Lord brought him out of it. But he was a praying man, no doubt about that. And then in chapter 9, he prayed this prayer of repentance for the whole nation that's recorded there. A beautiful prayer. So he was a man of prayer. He was a worshiper, we read in chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. You know what? The Lord needs more worshipers. Daniel cried out in chapter 2, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I imagine it didn't make the Lord smile if some of us sometimes would say that. Right in the middle of a church service maybe. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or maybe do what he did in verse 23. I thank you and praise you, O Lord. I don't know how long it's been since you thanked the Lord for what he's given you. Or since you said, Lord, I just want to praise you. I just want to praise you for who you are. I just want to praise you because you're God and you're worthy. If you hadn't done anything for me, Lord, you're still worthy of praise because you're God. Just to praise like Daniel did. That would be a, a wonderful thing. And then he was proactive. We read in, in chapter 1, verse 8, where he didn't just sit back and, and let events run their course. He, he went and talked to the king. He tried to negotiate. He used wisdom. And he was proactive in trying to do things that would bring the will of God into effect. He was promoted in chapter 2, verse 48. The Bible says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, you know what happens when Daniel, a Jew from Jerusalem, gets put over all the wise men? There's a whole lot of jealousy going in there. And people didn't like what was going on. That's why he ended up going to the lion's den, incidentally. Because of that kind of jealousy. His life wasn't a bed of roses. He had a lot of difficulties and a lot of trials. But he was promoted and that made a lot of people jealous. He was loyal because chapter 2 verse 49 says when he was promoted over the whole province of Babylon. Daniel petitioned the king. And he set Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So when he was given this high office, he didn't forget about his friends, his brothers, if you will. He remembered them and asked for favor for them as well. You know what? Loyalty is all but gone anymore. People throw away friends like they throw away an empty cereal box over nothing at all. Just dismiss somebody out of their lives as if they'll never need them again. That's a sad thing. We see it happen every day. It's a sad thing. We need to learn to be loyal to the Lord and loyal to our family members and loyal to our 
our friends. It was a heavy responsibility that Daniel carried. It's so easy to read some of these things and just talk about them as if they're nothing. But Daniel received some of these things from the Lord. In verse 19 it says, He was astonished and his thoughts troubled him. Sometimes obeying the Lord is a heavy responsibility and brings very difficult times into our lives. Daniel had a testimony. In chapter 5, many of you will remember the story of Belshazzar the king when he threw a great feast. and The Lord was displeased and there was a, a hand that appeared writing on the wall. You can imagine looking at a blank wall to your right or to your left. And if a, a hand would appear there and start writing a message on the wall, it would get our attention, wouldn't it? It got Belshazzar's attention, but he didn't know what it said. He couldn't understand it. So he wanted the wise men to tell him. Nobody could tell him. And then the king spoke up and says, I know who can read it. I know who can tell you. And this is what the queen said in verse 10 of chapter 5. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. And she said in verse 12, Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of reputation, that kind of testimony, that other people had seen God work in your life, they'd seen you be faithful, so that when some problem arose, they said, you can call him, you can call her. They talk to the Lord, they're faithful, they're praying people. You can call on them. Half that type of reputation would be an absolute blessing and a wonderful thing. Daniel had revelation. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? The Lord revealed things to him in dreams and visions. Daniel had revelation. Daniel understood some spiritual things. God had shown him some things. But now I want you to listen in rapid fire order what the Bible says about that. The Bible says in chapter 7, verse 15, he was grieved. The Bible says he was troubled. The Bible says his thoughts greatly troubled me, Daniel did. He says my countenance changed. He said in chapter 7, verse 28, it's always on my mind. I can't get it out of my mind. It's always on my mind. He said I fainted and was sick for days. Think about that. I was astonished, he said. No one understood it. And in the midst of all of that, this receiving these visions and dreams and messages from the Lord that he had to, he had to tell and talk about but couldn't explain them. Let me ask you this. Are there some things about the Bible that you can't explain? Oh, amen. I heard that. There are. We don't have to explain everything. We don't have to be able to understand everything. Just accept what the Bible says. But it's interesting that the weight of the revelation of God upon his life says he was grieved, troubled, his thoughts greatly troubled him, his countenance changed, it was always on his mind, he fainted and was sick for days, he was astonished, and no one understood it. Boy, he, he carried a weight, a lot of pressure. And then the Bible says, and I went about the king's business. Which means in addition to all the other things he was dealing with in his life, the jealousy and the the 
the mockery and people talking about him and these revelations that he's received and the pressure of, of filtering through that and what we've just described, then he still had a job to do. And I went about the king's business. He lived a difficult life, folks. So much pressure, so much difficulty. He studied the scriptures, we're told, in chapter 9, verse 2, where the Bible tells us, in the first year of his reign, that is Darius the Mede, it says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel was a Bible reader. He was studying the book of Jeremiah, and he read where Jeremiah says that this captivity was going to last for 70 years. Well, 70 years is almost up at this point. What did that do to Daniel? It sent him to his knees in prayer. Chapter 9, praying a prayer of repentance. Lord, you've made this promise. We've been here 70 years. Now it's time. We want to repent. We want to turn around. We want you to get us out of this mess. And he began to pray that the will of the Lord would be done. The Bible says he accepted some things by faith because these are Daniel's words. Although I heard, I did not understand. And for those of us who sometimes struggle with some scripture and can't figure out exactly what it means, we're in good company with Daniel, aren't we? And although I heard, I did not understand. The Lord said, the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. And then finally, Daniel still awaits the resurrection because the Lord told him, and this is the, this is the last verse in the book of Daniel where these words were said to Daniel, but you go your way till the end for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. And we can all relate to that one, can't we? Now, now we go back to the blooming flowers. And as you look at that, what I'm talking with you about today is the fact that we need to bloom where we're planted. We live in a day when people are so unsatisfied. Unsatisfied in so many different areas of their lives. I'd like to suggest to us, based on Daniel's life and what we can learn from him, we need to bloom where we're planted. Will it always be easy? No. Will it always be pleasant? No. Will there be surprises? Yes. But we need to be rooted, be faithful, be committed, dig deep, and bear fruit for the glory of God. I don't know if you can read it from where you are, but engraved on the front of this pulpit, there is a tree. Got leaves on it, the tree trunk. Here's the ground level, and you can see all these roots. And there's the scripture that says, taking root downward, bearing fruit upward, Isaiah 17 or 37, 31. That's a great principle. And you can never bear fruit 
until you take root. As a church, we're going to have to be a church that is absolutely firmly committed to this. Amen? Listen, there's a lot of ways to grow a church and get a crowd. You can get a crowd by doing any number of things. But our calling is to be true to the Word of God. In being true to the Word of God, we would hope that we could attract a crowd. Amen? But if not, then so be it. Because we will not resort to other means in order to build a church. The Bible says, or a hymn says, My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen? And it's about the Word of God. It's about the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to sing what I thought was going to be a very familiar song. I thought everybody was going to know it. And then when I got here, I found out that nobody knew it but Ronnie and Joy and myself. But some of you know it. There's an old song that kind of speaks to what I've shared this morning. And it's simply deeper, deeper. Right where you're seated, would you sing it with me? Deeper, deeper in the love of Jesus daily let me go.
Thank the Lord. Seventy years is a long time. Seventy years to be faithful. With all the things that had happened to Daniel and the way he got jerked around in four different administrations and the troubles he had. Some of his, the people who worked around him, accusing him and tricking him to the point, and the king, that they got him in the lion's den. But you know what? The Lord brought him out of the lion's den. And everything was okay. It won't always be perfect. It won't always be easy. It won't always be liking to your liking the way that the Lord leads us through. But you know what? We can be faithful. And we can have a testimony. And we can bear fruit. If we'll bloom where we're planted. And be faithful to Him. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word today. We read in the scripture that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And certainly, with all my heart, I believe, Lord, we need to understand that as Christians, we've got to bloom where we're planted. We've got to get somewhere, stay somewhere, get involved, make a difference in the kingdom of God and work for you and understand what's really important. Help us do that. And then in our lives as individuals, Lord, help us to to bear fruit. Help us to be fruitful. Help us to, to make a difference, to be salt and light and share the love of God and be someone who brings people to the kingdom and shares the gospel with each one, we pray. Yes, Lord, help us to bloom so we can bear fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It is a big, busy, busy week. If you're not involved, please be praying for us. And if about six or eight men could stack chairs six high.